I'm so proud of our Shoebox product. Um, I think it is the best cap table and equity management solution out there. Um, you know, it, it, we, we've worked really hard to make sure um, that it is almost foolproof so you don't have those nasty surprises during the due diligence process that we talked about. Hey, Zach here from Boston Speaks Up. That's the voice of Kristen Kraft from Fidelity. Kristen is a vice president and business partner manager over at Fidelity. And you know she's the first person we've ever actually revisited on the Boston Speaks Up podcast. We talked to her a couple of years ago while she was in a similar-ish role at Silicon Valley Bank. And now at Fidelity, uh, Kristen's really just advanced her previous initiatives to another level, uh, helping startups navigate the current landscape, uh, fundraising, cap table management, access to investors, all that stuff that's going to help startups sort of, uh, you know, stay lean, mean, but grow and scale in sort of an uncertain economic climate that we're in in 2024. So really looking forward to expanding on um, a previous conversation we had with Kristen, really digging into, you know, what she's doing at Fidelity to help help uh, startups in the in the in Boston and sort of the New England region uh, in 2024, sort of looking ahead. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Cheers. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with my friend and uh and and the vice president and business partner uh manager at fidelity for startups Kristen Kraft. Kristen, how are you today i'm great zach thank you so much for having me how are you i'm doing really well i was just telling you before we went live i was i just shifted from hanging out with an 11 month old um not the one over my shoulder but looks strikingly similar to her older sister at this age um it's a bit. It's 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 been fun over at the Servideo household with, with a six year old and a almost one year old. The six year old's been a good helper, um, but yeah, it's been nice. It was a good good holiday season. It's the start of twenty twenty four. Before we dig into things, did you have have a good holiday break and and excited excited for the new year? Yes, totally. Lots of good like family time and you know time hiking outside in Vermont. It was great. Oh, that's lovely. That sounds mm -hmm. great. Well, for, for listeners, this is cool because this is the first sort of revisit um, podcast with 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 the guests we've had on before. And I kind of, as I mentioned, like we've become friends, I think, from, you know, your time in previous roles and getting a chance to meet you and and and, and working very closely um, with supporting the startup community in Boston. It's been a couple of years since we chatted. I'm just you know, ground ground listeners and, and readers in sort of what the last year or so has been like. It's been a turbulent sort of economic climate. Uh, You've landed at Fidelity in the in this Fidelity for Startups role, um, and really advanced a lot of initiatives that previously have been sort of a staple of how you've shown up in the market. So, if you could just share a bit of sort of just insights and, and what's what's happened in the past year, and then sort of some of the excitement about your specific role at, at Fidelity today. Yeah, absolutely. So the past year has been an interesting one, to say the least, for founders, especially. Um, the economic climate has been pretty choppy. Um, the fundraising climate has been extremely slow. Even later stage founders who are thinking about IPO, um, in many cases, they are delaying that IPO process because the IPO climate has been so slow and, and very unpredictable. Um, you know, it's it's been a weird time. 
I think there's a silver lining, however, which is that um, this is a moment in time where founders are finding themselves recalibrating in a really interesting way. So, you know, business fundamentals um, have always been important, but they are more important right now than they've ever been before. And what I mean by that is founders all of a sudden are thinking about things like generating revenue, um, bringing on early beta customers. Um, fostering customer retention and fostering customer lifetime value. And don't get me wrong, these things have always mattered. But during this kind of gangbusters phase of fundraising in late 2020, early 2021, those things mattered less. And I think that that was in some ways a, a negative thing because it fostered some bad habits. And it, it'll, it, you know, prompted some founders to take their eyes off the ball um, and, and to ignore those business fundamentals because ultimately, like generating revenue is the most important thing. Um, so I think that the silver lining of the phase that we are in right now and of the past year, which has been tumultuous, is that founders have been more focused than ever on those business fundamentals, um, which will serve them so well in the long term because they are building more steady predictable, reliable businesses. And it tends to serve them well when it comes to fundraising, because ultimately those, you know, the best companies are still able to raise um, and they are able to do so um, more easily when they can show those metrics um, and those business fundamentals that, that help give investors a, a sense of confidence and conviction. That's great. Well, well said. I want to double click on business fundamentals, like maybe example or two, and then, and then talk a little bit about some of the things sort of that you're doing in ways that kind of founders and startups can kind of tap into the resources Fidelity uh, uh, provides. What is an example? Um, and I, I was kind of appreciate you going back and forth in the pre-podcast Q and I, I, I think one example of a fundamental seems like sort of being more prudent with sort of the organization of the financials. Um, but but can you give example or two or three of like what some of those fundamentals look like that are just prudent in any economy, but particularly prudent and sort of like a, a shaky economy. Yeah. So I'll dig a little bit deeper into sort of the revenue side. Um, and then I'll dig into sort of company operations, um, you know, cap table management, like preparing to raise. So on the revenue side, um, you know, Right now, the smartest founders are making sure that every single dollar they deploy is going towards revenue, like generating revenue or preparing to generate revenue. Um, and that is a contrast to what we were seeing, you know, two years ago, let's say, when people were spending money on, on crazy stuff, um, stuff that, you know, was like a... a a real crapshoot. Like they oftentimes didn't know what was going to work. Um, you know, I, I, you know, buying blips, buying built, like, I don't know, yeah. things that, um, Big, they like didn't marketing just... experiements types of yeah, things. Yeah. And like, don't yeah. get me wrong as a, a former startup yeah. person, yeah. a long-time startup person myself, like yeah. I love experimentation. Um, but what yeah. I was seeing during that phase is that a lot of founders were experimenting, um, in ways where they were never going to get data back about whether they were, it was working. Um, and I'm not a fan of that type of experimentation. Like I believe that every experiment should have, you know, some sort of hypothesis that you are proving or disproving. And if you are deploying a dollar, especially of like other people's money, um, you should be doing so responsibly with an eye towards like, was this a good use of money that, and that will, you know, and, and can I get the conviction that I should either do this again in the future or not? And we were not seeing that. Um, whereas now all of a sudden the best founders are making sure that every dollar they deploy, um, you know, will help them move towards revenue or revenue growth. Um, and if they're using it for experiments that they are running those experiments in a really like 
sort of responsible and scientific way where they are able to validate or invalidate that it was a good use of money. Um, so that's, you know, what I see on the sort of business fundamentals from a revenue perspective. And then looking internally um, in terms of business operations and business growth, um, you know, and again, like, I think this is a moment in time where this is, you know, it was always important, but is more important than ever, uh, is around running a tight ship with your company. So, um, you know, right now, given, we can talk about this more later, but given the space that we are in and the product that we have around cap table management and equity management um, and a data room, and just like brief sidebar in case folks are not familiar with this, um, your cap table or capitalization table is the single source of truth about who owns some percentage of your company. So perhaps you and your co-founder own big chunks of the company, your early investors own some of the company, uh, maybe your early executive hires are given a portion of the company or given options um, in the company. So that cap table is the single source of truth around who owns what. Um, at the same time, or sort of a, a corollary, is the data room. And the data room is where you keep all of your documents um, that back up and verify those ownership positions in the company, options, grants, So we're talking like founders agreement, operating agreement, like those agreements that, that are, you know, countersigned to, to ref that are then reflected on the cap table. Exactly. Even things like offer letters that you make to employees okay. um, tend yep. to live in your, in your data room. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, though the, the cap table, um, the data room, those things have always been important, but they're particularly important right now because when a founder is fundraising, right before they close their round, they will go through a due diligence process. And, you know, lawyers will look through your data room, your cap table with a fine tooth comb. And if they find inconsistencies or errors, that grinds everything to a halt. It will really slow down your ability to close around. Um, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And I think arguably most dangerous, it can really erode trust and erode that relationship that you have with your investor. Um, it certainly doesn't instill confidence if they discover that you're, you know, arguably the most important facet of your business, like who owns, who owns it, um, is, you know, a dumpster fire. So, you know, it, those things have always been important, that they're, but they're more important than ever right now because fundraising is slow. So if you are in a, a really you know, fortunate position to be generating revenue, to be closing around with some investors, you certainly don't want to find that process disrupted at the 11th hour because you have a messy cap table or because you have a disaster of a data room. Um, and that's one of the big things that we are trying to solve here at Fidelity for Startups with our product, Shoebox, um, just ensuring that founders never are caught off guard, never never encounter any nasty surprises um, during that due diligence process. Interesting. I, I want to sort of, I just thought of a question and I, I don't know if this is the right framing for it, but I want to talk about busy versus messy cap table. And so mm -hmm. historically, you know, maybe interchangeably too much, I've heard both. And I think a bit, you know, but a busy cap table is like a lot of people on a cap table. And I, I'm curious your perspective. It, a well-organized busy, you know, many people, like lots of, you know, founding team members getting, you know, some skin in the game or an investing schedule to, to have some bit of ownership. If well-organized, is a busy cap table a bad cap table from a ability to have a smooth transaction versus like a messy 
cap table where it's just disorganized? I'm sort of curious your your thoughts on that. Yeah, great question, Zach. So um, your spot on a messy cap table is always a bad thing. Like that, it, it is just, it is a liability to your relationship, to your budget in terms of legal fees, um, you know, to your time, because you're going to eventually have to clean that up. So that's always a bad thing. Um, but a busy cap table, having a lot of folks on your cap table, um, comes with some upsides and some downsides. So on the upside front, um, there are benefits to having a lot of investors. Uh, it's an interesting signal to others um, that you have a lot of folks in your corner, that a lot of people believe in you. Um, you know, that you've been able to build relationships with so many individuals who want to write you a check and you've been able to present a compelling story to those folks um, to the degree that they are willing to put their own money behind your success. Um, so that's that's you know one of the upsides of having a lot of investors. But admittedly there are downsides as well. Um, you know, first of all, if if you know if they want to constantly ask you questions or meet with you to hear about your latest developments or they have concerns, um, you know, all of a sudden you have many people who want to put a bug in your ear about, you know, their opinion. Um, and sometimes those might be helpful conversations, but sometimes they might not. Um, and they might distract you from where you are trying to focus. And I think another sort of similar, uh, you know, not risk, but but downside potentially um, is just from an operational perspective, it creates more work for you. Um, you know, when you need to communicate with your investors, like it is just more communication that you have to do. Um, so just sort of operationally speaking, you are taking on more work. Um, you know, there, there certainly are ways to, to solve for that with templated communications. Like that is something that we really help founders do um, efficiently and effectively. Um, but no matter what, anytime you have more cooks in the kitchen, it just introduces organizational complexity, um, which, you know, creates more noise, creates a little bit more work, can sometimes create distraction. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. And I, I feel like it's probably a, a similar answer. Um, so in terms of like non-investors on the cap table, like strategic advisors, right? Like your startups bring in Corp, corporate development advisor and as opposed to paying them that you know that that large consulting fee or, or whatever or a salary um, they're going to give them some equity in exchange for their some channel pipeline to scale the business right we see this a lot um, and, and if if managed well through a platform like shoebox is how much how much have you experienced sort of um, when investors come in? that are looking at like a, a later round, um, if they see a bit of a busy cap table and from a non-investor perspective, um, is that, you know, a strong deterrent? You know, is it circumstantial? Just curious, like, you know, cause I think that's an area like where I'm sure you all do, but like, that's an area where advice, um, is really important because I can't name a startup I've worked with that doesn't have like, have like surprise advisors that, yeah that got some piece of equity like early stage it's like oh that person owns two percent of your company like they don't do anything um so just curious like any any comments on that yeah you know i do not hear many investors looking askance at having um you know 
advisors on your cap table. Um, because again, like it's an important signal that others have faith in you and in your vision yeah. um, and that they're eager to help. And I think another sort of upside, another, you know, upside specifically of those those types of um, advisors who, who may have some equity in the company um, is, you know, if those people have industry expertise, have connections, um, each of them is a node, a hub of connectivity that, um, you know, if you are managing that relationship correctly and, and to best effect, like that you can leverage, um, you know, yeah. you can, can rally them for help in bringing on early customers and building out your pipeline. You might be able to leverage them when it comes to hiring. Um, so, you know, I think that investors recognize that um, if they're the right people, um, they're actually, they can be a, a, an incredible asset to your, to your growth potential. Yeah. I love that answer. I love that answer. And, and and also from an investor perspective, an investor coming in later, like say there's some great advisors in at pre-seed and seed stage, and they're doing a series A round. Um, I mean, the investors are going to sort of carve out the amount of the pie that they are warranted based on the valuation <laughs> and the amount they're investing. So, um, you know, the, how many or, or, or how few additional folks are involved, like it's, you know, a, it's not like it's not important, right? And in, in, the, in the best case scenario, like there's more people involved because more people believe in the company and yeah. there's more people with, you know, skin in the game and, and, a, and an interest in putting efforts in to make the company successful. So uh, exactly. cool. I'm glad we, I, I think that messy versus busy topic is a good, that's a good, I feel like that's a good theme um, to, to, to kind of get, I'll personally take away from this conversation and share that with a lot of founders I talk to because I think it helps draw a line and sort of like what's okay and what isn't yeah uh, and it's a question really that comes up that. a lot so i'm glad you asked yeah. cool so let's like d double click on maybe an ex i know you have a lot of examples but let's talk about the work you're doing right now at fidelity for startups um and the different types of things that you're um that you're supporting in ways that entrepreneurs um maybe just with ideas startups with a bit of an MVP, investors, how are you bringing them all together? Yeah. So um, I guess just to set the stage, uh, you know, probably many folks know Fidelity. Um, and, and one of the things that I love about Fidelity is sort of the things that we are known for, the things that we are most respected for, um, namely like great, great products, um, incredible sort of long-term relationship, you know, an eye towards um, really supporting our clients in myriad ways um, and, and always being there for them. I mean, that comes through in our incredible um, NPS results. I love reading NPS and sort of customer feedback data um, just because it really, um, you know, it's just so lovely to see that the work that everybody here kind of puts into to building those relationships and supporting those relationships um, is is appreciated and, and adds value to people's lives. Um, and then last, just sort of our, our place in the ecosystem. I mean, we are um, a, a, a really um, well-known, well-respected, um, you know, capable um company that that people have um you know that that has inroads in so many different parts of the economy um so you know coming back to fidelity for startups it's really exciting to think about how we bring all of those um attributes um to bear in support of founder success um, and, and seeking to do so in very similar ways. So on the product side, we are so proud of our, I'm so proud of our Shootbox product. Um, I think it is the best cap table and equity management solution out there. Um, you know, it, it, 
we we work really hard to make sure um, that it is almost foolproof. So you don't have those nasty surprises during the due diligence process that we talked about. Um, you know, we have some incredible modeling tools that helps founders anticipate um, how equity positions will change in subsequent raises. So, um, you know, the product and engineering and design teams here have worked hard to build and to continue building an incredible product. Um, I, I love showing it off to people. Um, additionally, I think that we have worked hard to do so much on top of that in service of a long-term relationship. So, you know, we're not in it for the short term with founders. Like the, um, you know, we are in it because we want to support um, the next generation of innovators and change makers. Um, and, and we want to be there in their corner a year from now, a decade from now, um, a generation from now even, because that is what Fidelity does really well. And that is what we are known for. Um, and so, you know, I, I have many conversations with founder. You know, recently I was talking with a founder um, who's like, hey, like I really need to figure out my wealth management strategy. Like I don't, I, I don't necessarily um, know what I'm doing with XYZ. Like, can you help? Um, and I might not have the, all the answers, but there are so many people at Fidelity here who um, are so expert here that connecting those individuals um, puts that founder in the best possible position. Um, you know, cool. Similarly, I was talking with a founder a couple of weeks ago who's like, hey, I'm thinking about IPOing in 18 to 24 months. Like, I don't even know what I don't know. This is my first time doing this. Like, help me figure this out. Um, and so I've been able to identify various folks at Fidelity who have expertise in different facets of that IPO process. Um, and so given just the breadth of um, experience and expertise that exist at Fidelity, we really are able to step in and be a trusted partner um, for almost any financial mm -hmm question or problem or opportunity that might arise for a founder, um, whether they're really early and just incorporating or whether they are preparing to IPO or have IPO'd in the past. Um, so I think that that sort of long-term relationship piece um, is sort of the second element. And then the third and final element I'll touch on um, around our connectivity, um, you know, in, in the world of finance, um, in the world of business um, is unparalleled. And we are seeking to leverage those connections in support of founder success. So I host a lot of events here in Boston, um, you know, some also in New York City and San Francisco um, with colleagues there. Um, you know, we do a lot of online events and ones in other cities as well. Um, really, we're, we're trying to, to show up and have a presence and be helpful, most of all, um, in all of these different places where founders are building and growing incredible businesses. And I think that we have the opportunity to play a big role in that startup's trajectory by fostering this community and fostering this connectivity. So for example, um, there, you know, there's a, the founder that I've known for a while um, who, you know, she's come to a number of events um, and I ran into her recently. She's like, oh, Kristen, like I've been meaning to let you know that this event you invited me to, I met so-and-so via that person. I met my lead investor. I also met some folks who I am bringing on as advisors. And like, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't shown up at an event. That wouldn't have happened if Fidelity had not created the space for those um, introductions to happen. Um, so, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in serendipity. Um, but I also think that 
you know, various people, organizations can create the opportunity for serendipity to happen. Um, I think we can put a finger on the scale and support of uh, a startup success by creating those opportunities um, and those moments of connectivity. I love it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sort of just the landscape of of sort of innovation and, and just clusters of innovation in, in, in Boston and the New England region. Uh, I'm curious, like how much, like I was just talking to a buddy of mine who's a creative director at a, at a big agency in Boston. Uh, and he was, and we were talking about how like every, every department had, cause I'm always trying to, you know, I'm a, I'm a small little consulting firm and I'm always trying to, Oh, how are the bigger sort of like consultancies and agencies navigating like AI? Um, it's like every department, you know, it's like from the leader to the, the you know, division sort of leaders, whether it's the creative department or the copywriting department, it's like. It, it, this is just in the marketing sort of creative side. It's sort of like everyone needs their AI strategy um, as a, as a business, you know, Valley creation labs has been leaning in on AI. We're experimenting with one tool right now. I really like from a serial entrepreneur buddy of mine. It's his third rodeo. He's exited well, the last two. So I like his chances. Um, and we've like customized a mascot that we're going to embed on our site. That's going to sort of, you know, we fed it and, and created like a VCL brain and it, and it's just really, it's really neat. Um, so, and also Fidelity is um, supporting a report on artificial intelligence and machine learning in the New England region that uh, a group of analysts that, that I work closely with, Galen Moore, Joe Maglita, are working on right now. We're releasing that later this, this month. It's going to be out sort of around the time we get this podcast out. Um, so I'd love to double click on AI and just sort of how Fidelity sort of like understanding it's one of the biggest sort of um, innovation sort of areas of our time is supporting uh, founders to ensure that they, if they're not building an AI company, which is okay, they are, they have sort of AI strategies for leveraging AI because they are, you know, there are many number of sort of tools in, in sort of that category that can help supercharge the individual's that are, that are sort of working within within startups. So curious kind of where you want to go with that topic a little bit, but I've I've definitely appreciated Fidelity's um, leaning in on the AI front, obviously through that report that will come out, but it's not just that that you're up to. So I'm just curious sort of like your general thoughts, helping how you're helping companies from like an education and support standpoint. Yeah, so I'm so excited for this report to publish um, because I, I believe that Literally every founder should read it because um, I think that there is actionable perspective that no matter what industry you are in um, is important for every single startup to consider. And the reason I say that, um, you know, regardless of whether you are building an AI company, um, I think it's really important to understand how many other companies are leveraging AI. You know, one of the big themes in this report that we've been collaborating on um, is that, you know, most most experts, most folks on the cutting edge, um, see AI as um, you know as a catalyst, as um, you know something to improve what you're already doing. It's not necessarily replacing your support team. It is just making your support team um, more efficient, more effective, more informed. Um, if you are um, generating content, generative AI can help you write better, write more clearly, can help you, uh, you know, source interesting research and data points. Um, I was talking with a founder 
a month or two ago um, who is using AI to help support nurses. Um, so this, this founder who himself is a, a, a doctor was describing the number of steps um, that a nurse will go through when assisting in a surgery. Um, and he was like, a lot, he was describing to me the ones that really like have to be performed by a human and then describing to me the ones that really do not need to be performed by a human. Um, and it's, you know, we, 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 we need more medical professionals. Um, and so if we can free up um, a nurse's time and headspace and bandwidth um, by letting AI take on some of that work that really does not need to be performed by a human. In some cases can actually be done better uh, by an AI um, that has the potential to you know, improve outcomes, um, create more time and space for those who need medical care. Um, so, so sort of coming back to why this is so important for all founders to understand, regardless of what industry you're in, um, it's really about um, leveraging AI to improve whatever it is that you are doing. Um, and I think we are so fortunate here in Boston um, because I, I see this as um, a hub, if not the hub for AI innovation. I mean, given given MIT, Harvard, you know, so many other great universities, it's no surprise that we're on the cutting edge. Um, but, you know, almost every founder I speak with um, has some brilliant idea for how they can leverage AI to build better or build faster. Um, so I'm excited about this report um, and I'm excited about the potential for founders to think uh, more broadly about how they might leverage AI. But in addition to that, um, you know, we've also been working hard to support founder success um, around AI um, with content, you know, other content, with events. We, we hosted um, an AI event last fall, um, and it was one of the most well-attended events that that we've hosted. Um, you know, the room was packed. We had a, a guest speaker um, from one of the, the fastest growing generative AI companies um, speaking about what she has been seeing in this space. Um, so ultimately, I think like, you know, we're still early days with AI. So I see the most impactful opportunity, you know, where, where I can be helpful, where Fidelity can be helpful, um, is just helping people um, understand what's going on, think about how they might leverage AI, um, learn about best practices that other founders and other operators are using so that they can think about how to grow their company more successfully. I love it. I saw a really interesting post on uh, X the other day, aka Twitter. And the the way that I'm seeing a lot of um, entrepreneurs like the and, and it's like there's always good like I've learned to appropriately pull away the right trends from like social media. I've become more of a lurker in my in my later in my in my late thirties. Uh, but one thing I've seen I've seen a couple times, but I had it was a it was a post of I forget who the entrepreneur was, but they they were like I and it was it was a pretty prominent like female entrepreneur, and she said I spent three thousand dollars on AI tools in 2023, and it freed up. X thousands of hours of my time to do all the things to generate, you know, success and, and create wealth for myself. Um, and I think that that's like a really interesting way to look. I think, you know, I think that's how the report looks at it is sort of how, how companies are, you know, you know, tools are being created right now, leveraging AI and machine learning to to enhance the ability to more efficiently get certain tasks done. Like my creative team is using AI tools to 
take certain parts of the creative production process from six to eight hours down to like one to two. And so I think, you know, you still need humans, uh, but humans can get um, more done in less time. And as my friends at Scrum Inc. uh, have done lots of studies on, you know, when you get more done in less time and you're enjoying, it it does help to enjoy what you're doing, um, you're less stressed and that productivity output makes you happier. Um, so, you know, I, I see, I see AI as like real catalyst towards like happier workers, um, because that nurse, you know, the, like the nurses you alluded to that can you know, help get assistance on some of the tasks that could be, um, automated and, and you could have sort of an AI assistant. And then the tasks that are the most, more mission critical, they can sort of like have their focus on. And then the backlog of things that they haven't gotten to for the day, they can actually go and get to. Okay. Uh, and so that's that's really where uh, you know, I think similarly we share excitement for like um, folks reading this report and getting a getting a sense of um, oh wow like I can apply this to my entrepreneurial journey right away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's so much opportunity to augment what you're doing, um, not to mention um, free up that time, which is any founder's um, most important asset to a certain degree um, to. To focus on the human element, to, to build stronger relationships with their early customers, to build a great company culture, um, the things that really like only a human can do um, for their startup and with their startup and their customers. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So let's, so we just talked about AI. So, I mean, if you really want to, it can be AI, but I'm curious, like what, what else like is what most excites you about the startup community? that you've been a part of for a long time here in, in, in Boston and, and, and sort of this, this region, uh, you know, what are you most excited about this year and sort of moving, moving forward in 2024 and beyond? Yeah. Um, I love the way that this area, um, focuses on some of our generation's most pressing problems in brilliant ways. Um, so, you know, as we touched on, like our area does, really well with AI. Like we're at the cutting edge. Um, we are also, of course, at the cutting edge, um, you know, of, of life sciences, of pharma, um, of medical devices, of, of healthcare, um, which, you know, it is, it is, is deeply important as we saw, um, during the pandemic. Um, and then in addition, you know, Boston is at the cutting edge of climate tech and robotics as well. So, here yeah. in the Boston area, we have the largest climate tech incubator in North America, Greentown Labs. Um, and I, I love—I I end up over at Greentown Labs, um, you know, once a month, if not more often. I'm actually teaching a workshop over there oh, cool. um, in a couple of weeks. And I just love seeing what the founders there are building. Um, you know, yeah. they are leveraging and building in, in solar. They are leveraging and building in wind technology. Um, mm-hmm. They're improving battery technology. And all these things that they are working on have so much potential to impact our quality of life in really meaningful ways. Um, mm-hmm. and, and ditto on the robotic side. There's often, you know, a lot of overlap there. But we have um, some of the most exciting um, entities, whether they are accelerators, incubators, or um, VC firms who are um, supporting the work that folks are doing in the robotics space. Um, yeah. So I'd say that, um, you know, and again, like 
what we are able to do with robotics has so much potential to improve lives, um, improve medical outcomes. You know, I, I love hearing about how people are thinking about using robotics in medicine, um, you know, using robotics to install, um, you know, solar panels. I was just hearing about that. Um, so I, I think that like being on the cutting edge of climate tech, um, of robotics, of, you know, life sciences and healthcare, um, all of those are, um, I mean, people here are, are building these businesses, not, not just because they're trying to make a dollar, um, but because they really want to make the world a better place. Yeah. I, I want to sort of talk about both of those topics a bit. Um, so we, cause previously like the original report I did when I, when I moved back from Los Angeles, I want to say it was nine, it must've been 2019. Um, it was, I think it was before the pandemic. It might've been like 2019, maybe early 2020. We did a report on robotics and we focused on micro location robotics because what we realized quickly, it was a, such a big sector. Um, in order to have a digestible amount of research and reporting to get done in like six months, we had to focus on like a subsect. So we just focused on micro location robotics and, and, uh, the innovation from this Boston's sort of robotics industry. Um, on the microlocation robotics front, it's basically driving all the innovation for like railway systems and transit systems like all around the globe. Um, as just one takeaway from that from that report, um, to your point about healthcare and robotics, it's interesting. I have a one of my best friends, groomsman in my wedding. He's lived down in D.C. forever. Started his career. He's a he's a patent and and IP attorney. We used to work at the U.S. Um, patent and Trademark Office, but he now works for Medtronic. And Medtronic's got offices a lot of places, but he's been coming up to Boston recently because he's reassigned to the robotics department. And so Medtronic is very much invested heavily in robotics IP and, and robotics sort of enhancing sort of a lot of um, ways sort of um, medical and healthcare treatments are being administered, um, which I just discovered, you know, he was in town last week, we had, we had dinner and um, I'm kind of like setting up a follow-up chat because I'm like, oh, I want to learn. I want to learn more of the extent that he can share with me, like what's going on there. Um, and then the last, the last thing I want to double click on is the, you know, I'm glad you brought up Green Town Labs. Uh, you know, back, I mean, it must have been, you know, several years ago now. That I talked to Dr. Reichert, who just went into her new role, and I, I think it, strategically, I think that's going to help the overall ecosystem. She's obviously um, very, you know, still embedded in Green Town Labs, and sort of the, the recently not you know now you know former ceo of greentown i've had some friends that have been entrepreneurs in that community but a buddy that was doing wind you know wind turbine technology i think it's an interesting area to like i i would love to put our analysts like on climate tech um and as i learned talking to dr reichert like you know don't talk to me about like you can talk to me about green tech you can talk to me about clean tech but talk to me about climate tech talk to me about things that sort of like are it, like have a or can be framed within sort of like helping um reduce carbon emissions and positively impact the climate and and that's you know there's a lot of happening in this in in this state um that's driving sort of like global climate tech you know innovation and it was cool to see them expand down to the Houston area where obviously like uh, a lot of you know a lot of dependency on oil is sort of tied to that part of our our country uh, so let's throw climate tech on the list of, 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 uh, potential topics we may cover in a future report. Yes. I love it. With like <laughs> a, a, uh, an angle or a sub element there on blue tech. Like I think, um, you know, especially Ooh. being where we are, um, you know, everything going on around Boston, uh, Cape Cod, 
Portland, Maine, Rhode Island, yeah. like really cool stuff happening in Bluetech specifically as mm -hmm. well. So yes, I like that idea. Yeah. Zach. yeah. Blue tech. I like it. Yeah. That's, I mean, and when you, when you talk blue tech, you're kind of referencing sort of like the things that are going to help with sort of our rising sea levels and like flooding. Yeah. I mean, I've seen yeah. um, so many different founders doing really interesting things in blue tech. Like sometimes it's um, leveraging, um, you know, uh, enter like wave energy. Um, sometimes it's figuring out how to, um, you know, generate wind power, but offshore. Yeah. Um, sometimes yeah. it's about monitoring. Um, you know, I think arguably even there are, um, there are innovations in like the shipping space that are yeah. sort of in this like overlap of, um, you know, operations and supply chain, but also blue tech because of the impact that they're able to positive impact they're able to have, um, on emissions and in other, you know, emissions reduction. Um, so I think like that's what's so exciting to me or like one of the many things that's so exciting to me about climate tech and about blue tech yeah. is all the different um, lenses through which uh, people are thinking about innovating. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Totally. That's a, that's an area I would love for all the, if, if, if every just badass sort of entrepreneur, growth agent, marketer, like, CFO, like if, if it just was like, I want to focus on supporting, you know, climate tech, blue tech sort of startups. Um, I think that there's a, I think there's a even greater, um, th that's the thing. There's such a greater ceiling to what innovations happening out of the, out of the state. Uh, and I look forward to seeing sort of how Greentown Labs is like a cattle is a catalyst for like more innovation and, and things sort of advancing where like you know companies and startups out of greentown labs like generating revenues and and becoming commercially viable and sort of you know paving the path toward like larger investments and more resource resources going to that space absolutely i couldn't agree more yeah. so uh one thing i want to ask you before we get towards like our, our fun final question is just i want to make like any other topics or things you want to bring up in, and in particular i'd love if you want to share with listeners like what are some things that are coming up you know, any, anything's happening in the coming, you know, weeks and months that, um, that folks should, could, you know, attend or whether it's virtually or, or IRL. Um, but what's, what's happening on the sort of fidelity for startups front that yeah. folks can tap into? Um, so I, I love, um, fostering community, um, in, uh, through a, a somewhat narrow lens. And, and the reason for that is I think that, um, you know, founders get so much benefit from talking with other founders. They get so much benefit with meeting and talking with investors. But I think the more closely they aligned they are in terms of their industry, in terms of their stage, the better. They just have more in common. They're able to be more helpful in sharing lessons learned and best practices and introductions. Um, so I tend to do a lot of community building that, um, you know, takes that you know, somewhat narrow lens on industry. So um, next week, actually, we are hosting something around um, hardware and supply chain. Um, mm -hmm. We have, you know, some incredible founders and investors who are joining. Um, and then in late February, um, you know, I'm doing something around B2B SaaS, you know, B2B SaaS has always been really strong here in the Boston area. Um, so hosting something in the B2B SaaS space. 
um, as well as, um, you know, a more sort of general tech and startup happy hour um, with a, a local law firm that specializes in IP law. Um, so yes, I can, I can share that link in case you want to share it, Zach, um, for all yeah. those upcoming events for, for folks who might want to join. Um, yeah. but we are working hard to, um, constantly bring people together, um, constantly create space for people to share lessons learned and data and trends, um, whether it's through programming, like a talk, um, a report, um, and we curate everything through a link tree that people can subscribe to so they can always be kept up to date on um, new events that we are hosting and launching. Um, so I'll share that um, so that folks can get visibility Great. into future things going on. Um, in addition to the AI report that yeah. we're publishing together, yeah. I'm super excited about. So, um, you know, excited to think about what the Great. launch event looks like for that. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So spoiler alert, there may be a launch event for that AI report too. Uh, yeah, get me that link tree. I'll get that in in the article. And, and is that also um, is that where people can sign up for like a newsletter and like get updates exactly, on things yeah. that are happening too? Yeah, yeah. get some get some push notifications on what's popping. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so last question: your challenge for listeners and readers. Yes. Um, so I'm a huge reader. Um, I have I've set this goal for myself in the past that like every year I want to read more books than I read the previous year. Um, I think 2023, I was at 56 books. Um, so, you know, at, later in my life, I'm going to start regretting yeah. this decision uh, or this goal potentially. <laughs> um, but for now, um, it's been a fun goal. Um, and one of the things that I really love doing um and i've been I, I didn't i haven't always done this but i've been doing more of it and i found so much enjoyment of it from it and so sort of figured others might as well um is really like reaching out to dear friends who also love reading to ask them like hey you know do you mind sharing like two or three things that you've read recently that you really enjoyed? Um, and that has been such an incredible source of um, suggestions. You know, I, I've been, um, you know, reading so many of the books that, you know, friends and even like just sort of loose acquaintances have recommended. Um, and I think perhaps the sort of cherry on top has been, um, it creates this lovely, um, excuse or opportunity to like engage in sort of more meaningful dialogue um, with people that perhaps I don't even see very often. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, a friend who I, you know, because we live further away, like we haven't seen each other in a couple of years, but she just before the holidays shared a whole bunch of suggestions with me. Um, and, you know, over the break, like I ended up reading a couple of books that she recommended. Um, and so we end up getting in a really nice, like, you know, text and dialogue about, you know, her opinion and my opinion. Um, so I think that is my challenge to, to listeners is, um, you know, take a minute to, to text or ping some of the people in your life to ask if they've read anything recently and, and take that book out of the library, you know, buy that book from a local bookshop and, and give it a try. Um, not only for the pleasure you get of reading a book that, that somebody recommended, but also for the opportunity to, um, chat with those friends about their opinion and share yours. I love it. I got a follow-up question on that. So fiction versus nonfiction, do you go through phases? Is it different seasons? You tend to gravitate toward more? Just curious. Yeah. Um, I prefer fiction. I probably read like 80% fiction, 20% nonfiction. Um, but yeah, I like, I, I, I've been trying to read more nonfiction recently. Um, yeah. and last year I was on this kick where I was, um, trying to read a lot of nonfiction around like decision-making, um, 
habit building. Um, cool. You know, I figured like life is long. Like I want to be good. At, I'm going to make a lot of decisions in my life. I want to yeah. understand how I can improve my outcomes of every decision I make. Um, you know, how I can build the habits that will help me be as you know healthy as possible, as 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 happy as possible. Um, so that was sort of the angle I was taking on the on the nonfiction side. Um, and then on the fiction side, I've been working my way through the modern libraries list of the 100 best books um, mm. in English ever written. Um, recently completed Ulysses, which I've been trying to finish Ooh. for literally decades. Um, so that has been, I know. Ulysses is, that's, that's, a, that's good for you. <laughs> Re <laughs> reading a companion reader's guide while reading it helps. That's my pro tip. There. Okay. Good to know because I have purchased it and I do have it. It's 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 daunting. I'm yeah. I've been on. I've I've had a um, more success reading fiction than nonfiction in terms of just like binging, but and just like getting in a flow. So I've just been on. I'd say I'm like ninety five percent fiction to nonfiction in the last two years. But uh, Ulysses is on the list. I don't know if that that whole hundred. How far have you made it through the hundred? I'm at like ninety. <laughs> Um, so home stretch. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Nice. Do you the, publish anything on like comedian blog or something? I do. Like, I so, actually, um, yeah. every January, I, I need to still do mine for 2023, but every January I publish, um, a recap of the books that I read and then some of the themes yeah. that, um, you know, came out of what I read that year. Is that up? Because we can put that in with your challenge to listen. Oh, this is post. a good incentive for me. Now I will. I will should publish over, my twenty twenty three list. Okay, yeah, like I like over this. the next week while we're getting this together, we'll throw it in there. I'm into it. Thank you for the motivation, cool. Zach. Absolutely, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to encourage and be encouraged. Um, I've, if I'm anything, I'm excitable. That's as my brother described me and his best man speech <laughs> for me. He's like, there's a lot of excitable people in the world. I don't know if there's one more excitable than Zach. If you find them, let's, let's have a, let's, let's, they're probably pretty, they're probably pretty crazy. Um, but a I, great no, I get, attribute. I get, when you I get, the, one of the many things I admire about you. Th thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, and appreciate like this, you know, just our evolving, um, you know, friendship and, and looking forward to, getting to to see you at uh one or two of these events coming up including you know stay tuned listeners like an, you know uh, an event sort of uh kind of unveiling and, and sharing more and building community around sort of the ai report and just and sort of um and, and and bringing folks together to kind of like discuss and sort of maybe you know make actionable like you know lessons and insights from that so we got a lot more we'll be working on this year and i'm sure into the future so appreciate your um your embrace of, of me as sort of a, a friend and a, and a sort of a collaborator in the market. So thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, Zach. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers, Boston. Cheers, Boston. <laughs>